My name is Isaac Ojede Noabua, and you're welcome to the Change Africa podcast. Every Thursday, together with my co-host, Daniel Merki, we sit with Africa's most inspirational leaders and have in-depth conversations around the stories that shape their life and impact. For the next eight weeks, we've partnered with Teta Sakura in this special series to dissect the stories of all the eight speakers of Teta Sakura, Agents of Change 2022. Join us in these up-close and personal conversations that promises to be inspiring, captivating, and motivating. Hello, everyone. My name is Isaac Kujiri Nwaboye. Welcome to the Change Africa podcast, TEDx Special Edition. And this is where we speak to the change makers who are at the helm of the African transformation. And together with TEDx Accra, we are having the guests that came on the TEDx um, stage. We're trying to delve into their stories of impact. And today we have none other than Del. Titus Baywell with us, who is the founder of Web3 and Ghana Unity DAO, trying to talk about Web3, talk about the new technologies that are trying to change the world and how they can impact Ghana, more specifically Accra. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay. So, technology really is one of the most transformational things that's happened to the world, right? Let's go back as far as, say, the 1950s, where I was not born, but I imagine where Ghana was inching towards independence, right? I would imagine that uh, Nkrumah in prison uh, before there was the Accra news. I don't know if you know this history. So, like, Nkrumah set up this newspaper that was really popular. But now, if Nkrumah was here, right, and he was in prison, probably what would send the news faster than a tabloid newspaper would be social media. And that is changing. There are new spheres of technology that's coming up. And there's this new thing called Web3 that's probably going to even take us to a higher dimension. What is that? Um, yeah, you're right. So, you know, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, you guys are doing some amazing work and you're tackling the right conversations that we should be having. So, thank you for having me. So, I think when it comes to technology um, the premise of it is to make our lives a lot more efficient Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll break it down into simple format Um, so web 2 we think of the age of the internet Um, we have the world wide web um, which allowed us to uh, develop websites use emails uh, very innovative entrepreneurs creating um, uh, apps for the smartphone. And then we now have Web3, which is the age of the blockchain. And as a consequence of that, we now have cryptocurrencies, NFTs, the metaverse, and so on, right? Um, and Web3 basically is an mechanism, infrastructure that creates um, ownership, um, decentralization, because when you think of Web2, um, it's pretty much centralized, right? And you still have to deal with intermediaries. Um, the blockchain in Web3 changes all of that. Um, and that, as we evolve um, as a society um, and the kind of consciousness that we've got um, at the moment, I would say um, it's a very necessary 
um, um, change in history. So, you said a lot of words, decentralization, ownership, right? These words, they don't seem so easily understandable by the average person, right? How far has this Web3 revolution gone? And, you know, I think the most relatable thing for most people now is cryptocurrency. But in the past, you know, a couple of months, cryptocurrency has not performed the way it's, it's doing. How, how should people think about the transformation that Web3 possibly has in the face of the challenges that cryptocurrency has and all of that? So I often say to people that, you know, Web3 is not cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Cryptocurrencies came as a consequence of the blockchain, right? And so if people really want to understand what future we're going into, my advice would be to invest a lot of time and try to gain knowledge in how the blockchain works. Um, because through that, there will be so many things. I, I think we're still scratching the surface. You have to just think of when the internet came in the 90s, right? Um, and then you had like companies like uh, Amazon, Microsoft, all these guys came up in the 90s. Now, if you look at where Microsoft started and you look at where it is today, uh, never, in, I don't even think in the wildest dreams of Bill Gates or um, Bezos, did they think that it would be as revolutionary as it has become. It's a completely different machine now. And so, you know, um, as I digress, you know, yes, cryptocurrencies have gone through a very tough time. Um, it's not my first crypto winter. Um, I've seen it go through so many dark cycles. But at the same time, that's very necessary. We need to go through these um, corrections so that we can build more robust um, infrastructure um, and start to filter out companies or projects or, um, you know, startups that are really, you know, giving good utility to the user. Um, and so I don't necessarily, of course, if you've lost money, it's, it's not a great thing. But I think what this will continue to do is every time there's a shift um, in the period that cryptocurrencies have existed, there's been... Um, you know, more serious call to action for people to filter out and get better utility. That's what I've seen. Yeah, and that's not very... It's not a new phenomenon when it comes to technology, right? So there was a dot-com bubble. Right. So exactly. basically when there is a new technology that comes out, mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that are trying to, for maybe a lack of a better word, take advantage of the technology and... Um, it weaves itself out. The technology finds a way to weave itself out by um, by sort of rewarding the best utility, like you think. Mm -hmm. So maybe that is the stage we are, right? But let's circle back. You again. I want people to really have an understanding of the foundation. You say that we should look back to blockchain as the foundation of what the utility of cryptocurrency, Web three, really is about. Mm -hmm. So how does crypt, um, the blockchain work? And can you give us like a life scenario of how that evolution of blockchain could help people in Ghana, people in Africa? Okay, yeah. So, um, the, so, so the blockchain is 
an open source um, ledger which allows, let's say, a few people to communicate transparently towards one another, right? And every time there is a change within the community, right, everyone's aware of that change. It is, and basically the data of what is happening within that ecosystem on-chain um, is immutable, meaning that it cannot, cannot be changed, yeah. right? So, for example, in Ghana, what I've used as a good example in the past is land. We have a lot of issues around land litigation. So, right now, deeds can go missing, can be doctored, can be doctored. Mm-hmm. You know, family members, owners are saying this was never sold. Um, you know, and even if it was sold, I didn't give my consent. You know, the locations of the land. All of these things have caused problems for centuries. Mm-hmm. So, when you have the technology of the blockchain, we could potentially consolidate all that data onto an NFT. And that will then be stored on the blockchain. It gives it, and the NFT makes it like a land certificate. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Which, was, which will help the lands commission here and also help the vendors, buyers, sellers, um, even um, construction, real estate companies, investors. And so that's a, like a real life scenario um, because I do believe that we should look at this technology and understand how it works so that we can adapt it to our necessities here. We don't necessarily need to copy anybody. We just need to think of the things that matter that we need help with in um, Ghana and Africa as a whole. Okay. But again, we come to a different thing, NFTs, which, you know, last year was very huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, the beginning of last year was very huge. Mm -hmm. Then also went now. Mm -hmm. Um, Can we talk briefly about what really NFTs are, right? And why they became so popular? Um, the NFTs, I mean, look, listen, the NFTs are different for everybody. Every, it means something different <laughs> to everybody, but I will try and make it as simple as possible. Again, in the same spirit of the right, definition, the and definition that, right? So, things that people are bringing up. Things people are bringing up. Yeah. Um, people just call it art. Some people use it for, you know, uh, games. People use it for so many things. Mm-hmm. But essentially it's a non-fungible token that's what the NFT that's, is that's it it's yeah. a non-fungible token um, and initially um, it was I guess partially created to keep ownership and IP for the artists right that was a very good way of maintaining that mm-hmm. also in a very um, unique format mm-hmm. But, you know, when you think of NFTs, most people think of like a picture, right? And then they say, oh, I'm going to turn this picture into an NFT and then I sell it. Um, Which is what a lot of people have done, done, right? And there's been this narrative that you you can sell an NFT and make millions of dollars. That's what is going out there. And that's not necessarily true because 90% of the NFTs that have gone out there and sold haven't necessarily made millions of dollars, right? So I think we need to kind of correct that narrative and understand the ones that are selling and versus the ones that are not selling. Um, they also tend to um, 
rely on unique value, right? Unique value, protection of IP, um, and ultimately giving maximum ownership and control to the creator. So a good example of a good NFT, um, for better or for worse, depending it on where you stand on it, right? Is <laughs> Edward Snowden, yeah. fugitive, mm-hmm. um, collaborated with a digital artist and basically created a digital silhouette of, I, I think it was the NSA documents that he uh, stole mm-hmm. um, or retrieved, <laughs> depending on how you look at it, right? From US government's perspective, stole he stole it. From the community, retrieved, right? And then basically they collaborated and turned this thing into an NFT and sold it, right? And it sold for quite a substantial amount of money. That's a unique, that's a, that's my, that's a definition, in my opinion, of an NFT. Or an artist like, you know, um, an, let's say Picasso mm-hmm. was selling art now. Mm-hmm. He would have been able to put all his art onto in the form of an NFT and being able to even attach potential smart contracts to it, where in the future, every time it was sold, right, um, there would be some sort of, you know, value um, that um, he or his estate would gain from it. Um, and also you can adapt the art. You can adapt its design features. Um, so there's so many ways that it can be used. It can be used, as I said, for land documentation, as we spoke about. So I just think the concept of NFTs has been tied to one specific industry for most people. And also there is that narrative that it sells for millions. And that is devaluing the principles on why NFTs were created. Okay. Back to Picasso, the example. If the NFT is created, right? Mm -hmm. And it's given to someone that is a transfer of ownership in that scenario Mm -hmm. as a use case. The act itself still belongs to who exactly? If it's transferred. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that all depends on the smart contract that you put in place. So, you know, you could say that every time it's sold on, you will get a fraction, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or you could say that. I think one digital artist um, that I was looking at, every time his he had one piece, yeah. and every time it was sold, the piece changed to a different design. It's pretty cool, you, you know. But I mean? is it then digital art or is it physical art? No, it's di- that was a digital piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some interesting collaborations that are happening between physical and digital artists mm-hmm. um, at the moment. But that that particular piece was digital. Okay. Yeah. So there's still a learning space. Oh yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot, there's a there's a lot to learn still, and there's a lot that can still be it can still be used for medical records. Okay, right, could be turned to digital NFT. So as we are trying to explore these nuances and use cases, right? Where does Web three actually fit into? Um, so Web three when I thought about this. My whole thing was, you know, there are a lot of um, blockchain companies that I was interacting with um, on the West Coast, and they all want to come to Africa. You know, they want to launch tokens. They want people to build on their chain. And for me, I've seen what that's done in Web2, and it hasn't really helped the local talent um, or entrepreneurs here. So 
you know, I started out by having, you know, really hard conversations with them and say, this is not going to go that way. What we need to do is we need, you need to invest in building a community. And when you build this community, right, that will yield further down the line where we know, you know, how many builders we actually have, right? Um, how many people are actually doing things on chain? How many people are actually trading, right? Um, so the whole premise of Web3 across is to basically become some sort of like incubator, right? Focused on education, community building, with economic impact being the last um, pillar. Um, and that's why we approached 2022 in the way that we, 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 we did. And we're going to approach 2023 um, in a different format, mm -hmm. still keeping to our principles of education, community building, and economic impact. Um, and so our hope is that we'll be able to build um, the kind of thing that we're able to understand our ecosystem. And the ecosystem also has a very, very astute um, approach to Web3, not just in Ghana, but across um, the continent. continent. So let's talk about what you did last year at Web3 Africa and yeah. what your plans are this year. So last year, we focused on doing four conferences. Um, we teamed up with Global Citizens. We teamed up with Harmony. Um, protocol um, and the objective there was to basically identify the community mm -hmm. um, because prior to that didn't really know the ecosystem in its depth but when we were able to do our conferences and were able to have these activations that allowed people from the community to come um, we were then in a position where we were able to identify with one another, right? And start to have the meaningful discussions and start to make plans towards building. Um, and also the stakeholders, um, the main stakeholders being the policymakers, mm -hmm. were also able to get a little bit of insight that actually this is not a myth. There are actually people in Ghana who are really into this, right? And that's what our main objectives 2022 was is to be able to identify the community and, bring and start awareness to build awareness to it, to it in a non you know uh, confrontational or rebellion against you know government or policy makers mm -hmm. yeah okay and then this year and then this year so this year what we aim to do is we want to develop the actual technology um, and start to take the community and people um into you know uh, a process where they ex have the user journey right um, through all the things we did last year but you know in a more interactive sense mm -hmm. um, because we think that's important we talk about a lot of these things but people need to see and feel and do things and so the objective this year is to go interactive mm -hmm. right on all the things that we have imagined and envisioned to do okay and how long do you think it takes us to get into the future that you imagine that the potentials of web theory can come to life for the average Ghanaian and the average African? Uh, I think that's that's a I think that's a question we just have to look inwardly about. I mean, I mean, if it's down to me, it'll happen immediately. <laughs> but I think that. Based on conversations I've had with the policymakers, with the community, everyone's ready, 
you know, to um, adopt certain aspects of it and the areas they do not understand, at minimum, they want to understand. They want to have the conversations, you know. And, you know, our, our culture in Ghana, very conservative. You know, we approach things with caution. You have to have time and patience to explain things to people, which I don't mind doing because I'm a Ghanaian, right? And so if you love your people, you have to have patience with one another. It's frustrating at times mm-hmm. because sometimes we're so conservative that we miss out on opportunities. And I think this is just one of those things where I don't want us to miss out. Um, you know, as I said last year, when we did what we did, most of the investment were towards building this ecosystem. We, we hardly charged anyone to come to our conferences. Um, it was actually um, 90% was free of charge or paid for. Um, and so our focus is really to engage with the community um, with the principles of getting people to have their awareness uh, and, and, and go for it. So my, listen, in the decade, within the decade, if Ghana can be um, in a position where we have started to integrate blockchain into our key institutions and we have companies that are fully operational on chain, um, I think that would be a really, 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 really good step. Okay. So I wanted to take a flashback into the past. For you personally, where did this journey start for you? Because, you know, for most people, they have an interaction with blockchain, maybe early on cryptocurrency, and then they're like, wow, this is the future. How do we make sure that we bring it back? You have not been Ghana-based. You've come to Ghana to build this. But what has that journey been like? And what was that hard moment for you? My journey into all of this started in 2013. I was a partner partner to an alternative investment firm. And we're always looking at investment opportunities for our customers. Um, And then... Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin kept flashing up on the screen. People kept talking about it. So one day I decided to look into it. And I was like, you know what? I'd also worked in a bank before. So it gave me a little insight of financial systems. And I'm, I'm a futurist. I like to always think and start to imagine it's what difficult the to do as a banker. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Someone who's working have, you have to be religiously conservative, right? Yeah. So I remember thinking, what does the world look like in twenty to fifty years time from that point? And I thought, we're not going to be using cash. I don't believe we're going to be using cash. And also I thought if you're writing a will, right? If you're writing a will in early 2000 versus writing a will in 2050 or 2075. What does that look like? That's how my mind operates on these things. And I thought, we're probably going to be a digital society. So why not start investing time to understand how these digital concepts are going to work? And Bitcoin at the time just made sense because it was decentralized. Um, There wasn't one person controlling it. There was a limit of how much coins could be in circulation. Mm -hmm. And also you could mine the thing. So imagine someone coming to you and saying, hey, you can go and print your own money. I was like, wow, and who do I want to be? I want to print my own money. So I, um, I got the service together, learned self-taught with one of my colleagues who's really, really, really... You um, got into mining? Yeah, I started mining. Wow. So I started mining. One became two, two became ten, 
you know, a few. Uh, and what do you mean, 10 Bitcoin? 10 Bitcoins got up to 50. And it wasn't worth a lot then. Uh, yeah, I hope you kept it. Um, so, as I continue to talk about the story, <laughs> so we mined the Bitcoins, and then um, there was an entity by the name of MT Gox or Mount Gox. Yeah, Mount Gox. Called, right? Yeah. And they were the main people storing the coins at the time. Yeah. Right? So you got caught into the Mount Gox whole Yeah, thing. I got caught in the Mount Gox thing, right? Yeah. And um, Mount Gox basically got hacked. Unquote. Whether they stole it or they got hacked, the community believes they got hacked. Yeah. I mean, the money was somewhere. Oh, so, um, I mean, yeah. yeah, we're talking billions, <laughs> billions of dollars, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about historically one of the biggest loss of like money from a, yeah. a financial so, system. A financial system. Yeah. And obviously, it wasn't considered a financial system. It was just considered as a scam. A scam, yeah. So all of us in that thing were looked at as scam artists, yeah. right? Um, and people getting jailed and all sorts of things. And so they got hacked for billions of dollars, in which case I lost all my Bitcoins, which is worth one million today. Yeah. Um, and I'm still not recovered. <laughs> <laughs> still going through trauma. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Mangos, that was horrible. You lost what probably is a million dollars today. Yeah. Why did you still continue? Because I believed in the system. That's the thing. And that's what I keep saying is I believed in the technology. I believed in the system. Right. Um, and also you have to bear in mind, I don't care what anybody says. Mm -hmm. For me, when we were mining these things, we never knew it was going to be worth that. Okay. Right. No one knew. Well, I didn't know. I'll be lying to you if I, if I will say to you that I was, you know, some genius okay. found that 2013 and knew it was going to be worth $50,000 a few years down the line. No, that's not what happened. Mind it because I genuinely believed in this technology. I thought the system made sense. I thought it actually benefits society. It's like a scientist in a lab pursuing a certain goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know that it's going to transform the world, but you're just I like... I guess you don't. I, I believed in it. I believed in the utility. To 2013, what happened that led you to here? Um, I mean, for me, it was more like um, an industry I was interested in. So I was, I was researching and mm -hmm. playing around with it. I never really pursued any commercial, you know, ventures because I'd actually offered it as an investment to the firm I was in and no yeah. one really wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. That's why I pursued it. Mm -hmm. um, but then I got involved in early stage um, disruptive tech platforms from funding to business development between London and the West Coast. Mm -hmm. um, got involved in a music tech business that were, um, was actually really good. Um, and there was a hostile takeover and that business, the IP was sold off to another um, music um, entity, large one. Um, and then a lot of um, companies in the West Coast and London started you know, reaching out for me to either join their advisory board or become partners. Um, and I've, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working and living between London and LA. Um, and you realize that there was another world aside from my core businesses I've been involved in. Like I'd been a banker, you know, I'd been in, I had a real estate company. Um, 
and this just seemed like a you know a journey where worthwhile um, and one that I was also having a lot more fun in so I think you have to enjoy yourself mm-hmm. when you're doing what you're doing and there's also room for creativity I thrive off creativity or visionary creativity and so um, I continue to do that um, and then 2019 just around the pandemic or into the pandemic I saw what was happening with the market and decided that actually once the pandemic was over well during the pandemic I was actually putting everything together, together. Um, and reached out to my network that I'd worked with for the last seven to eight years and told them that you know these were my goals and I was also heavily investing um, into the markets the cryptocurrency market at the time as well um, and NFTs and you know I was looking at all sorts of things with the time we all had at home so it's literally like gym spend time with my son family um, you know, and, then and, go back and, to and then go back to the laptop. That was all I was doing, um, <laughs> and and that's how that's how we're here. Okay, so crucial to Web three, crucial to um, the whole idea of this autonomous, independent systems of society is really governance, right? And governance is a key thing because there are some theories who believe that eventually what Web3 is, is going to lead to really systematic governmental change in the way we think around governance, even democracy. That's really what DAOs are. Mm -hmm. So, to the person who's listening, what is a DAO? A DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. Um, So, rather than having a hierarchy DAO, try and think of it as a meritocracy. Right, which works from left to right, up and down, side to side. Um, the community all contribute towards a mutually driven purpose, whatever that purpose is. So if the purpose is that it's built around festivals, right, then the voting and the governance of the DAO will be based around what their agreed purpose is. Um, and it is open, transparent, um, and not one single person has control. Um, now, if you look at our societies today, it doesn't really work that way. Mm-hmm. It is a hierarchical um, structure where one person or a few people have the major decisions and then they dictate how the other people are to live or are to um, operate mm-hmm. within those structures they put together. Um, but the Tao changes that because everyone from the bottom... Um, are all working together to achieve something that furthers this whatever vision that they've agreed on. So yeah, you call it a network um, and you have founded something, right, in that space too? Mm-hmm. Why? Because what I want people to understand from my entry into this is we're not here to take your money, mm-hmm. right? No one has, but we, other than the partners who have contributed for us to do what three are right? I have not, we've not demanded anything. We've not sold anything to anybody. You know, sold some fishy NFTs. No, no sold any <laughs> NFTs. We haven't sold any tokens. We haven't done anything, mm-hmm. right? All we have done is brought the ecosystem together. Um, and, you know, that was the purpose, is let's bring it down together where we can be all together 
and get to this place we're trying to get you together, right? And also try to understand how Ghana's um, Web3 community, what are their approaches into this area? Um, and yeah, that's, that's basically the main goal, is, is to bring collaboration, unity, um, and a very um, yeah, collaborative ecosystem. So what is the Ghana Unity DAO towards? So is it a towards a project? Is it towards, say, I mean, a setting network state? Mm-hmm. I, I really am trying to figure out. Because as you said previously, a DAO is always, you know, towards an intention. Yeah. What would that intention be for that? Is it towards a project that is going to be upcoming or what? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, um, in... 2022, when we did our last conference, right, mm-hmm. I highlighted that, you know, we'd, should I say, paused to rebuild mm-hmm. um, the Ghana Unity DAO. Um, and the objective was for me to work towards funding the DAO um, so that we could support projects um, on the ground here. Um, and I wanted most of those investments or contributions to be one that wasn't onerous that people receiving the money, right? And so the objective, that's the name Ghana Unity Down, mm-hmm. was to unite the entities or companies um, in Web3, outside of Ghana or in Africa, with the community as well as the policymaker, which would help to build some really robust projects. That's the name Ghana Unity Down, right? To unite the three pillars that would accelerate the industry here. Okay. So, accelerating the industry and making sure that we have a robust Web3 space in in Ghana. Um, How does one get involved in the network? Telegram. Very straightforward. You can get on Telegram. Once you get on Telegram, you go in there, you're free to reach out, you're free to speak to anybody. Um, there's a guy um, on the Telegram, Philip, who regularly updates it um, with a bunch of stuff happening in the Web3 space. And you can communicate with me on there. Um, we're not so active on Twitter, but mainly Telegram at the moment. And this year we'll be soon to be interacting with Discord and other platforms. Okay. I guess my question was actually that how do you make sure that you are participating in the decision-making is it just about also joining Telegram? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you join, you join my Telegram. Um, obviously, when our structures for contributions are out, out in, okay. the, in the group, okay. then we'll, you highlight what the rules and terms are right, mm-hmm. for everybody. Okay. And then everyone kind of contributes in that format. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, to we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but this is exciting for Africa, right? Very. And... What are the potentials, like, you know, for the DAO? I mean, I know you're still rebuilding. What was the potential for the DAO? Apart from what you just said, like, uniting, you know, the ecosystem. What would that practicality of a vision come to fruition look like? Policy. Okay. A policy that allows blockchain or Web3 entities to build freely, um, responsibly, and collaboratively in Ghana and hopefully other African countries. Those three things 
as a as a target would 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 would, would, what would be what I would use to measure the success of a down. Okay. And what are the plans to really impact the African continent post Africa? Sorry. What are the plans to impact the African continent with this project and Web3 Accra post Ghana? I think that we should be able to go into other African countries and stimulate an ecosystem that can become self sustainable. So if we can at least every year pursue one country and meet the community there and build a collaborative network with them so that they can also pursue and bring some of the knowledge and achievements we have um, gained from our DAO or what Theocra over there so that they could also take it, particularly ones that need us, right, mm-hmm. um, to, to help in any shape or form. That would be great. Or we can also go there and learn. It's not just about what we think we have or what we don't, you know, think other people have, but it's also what other people have that we don't have or know or understand. Because we can't assume that what works in Ghana is going to work in Rwanda or Nigeria. We are all the same. Our cultures are all similar. We are from one continent, but there's variations. What is the opportunity for the diaspora to get connected to the African continent through the Web3 space? Because you've done a lot of work there too, right? Partnering with Global Citizen, which is right now the biggest concerts I've ever happened in Ghana, bring a lot of diaspora and, um, you know, contribution to the, to the country, and it's continuing to do that. What are the opportunities that we can see with Web3 collaboration and the diaspora and, you know, economic integration in a new sense that really brings people back home? So, one, you know, you saw it, you know, one of the festivals, recent festivals, um, even like Afrocello, mm-hmm. where they collaborated with, um, you know, uh, tech companies um, showcasing some of the content in VR, as an example, um, which is a great opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. And starts to expand what's happening here into the international um, regions and then you know you 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 are starting to see um, companies that are thinking of building in the music aspect of web 3 pursue the afro beats yeah because really like yeah so as we run up the conversation i just want you to reflect on your crypto journey right and what you think that um, people who are still unconvinced and stoic and feeling reluctant around the whole Web3 blockchain, um, the whole space. When you reflect on your journey in cryptocurrency and Web3, how do you try to convince someone who is still reluctant around the transition that I feel is imminent, right? It's going to happen anyway. What, what would you say to that person? So, what I, what I would say, the operative word is imminent. This is coming, whether you like it or not. So you have two choices. Number one, remain stoic, remain conservative. Or number two, seek the knowledge, gain the knowledge, gain the understanding, and see how you can adapt it within your own life, right? The internet was coming. There's nothing anyone can do about it, right? 
And then you had this aspect of the generation where they were not in tune and didn't understand even how to use the technology. And I saw it happen with my mother and father's generation, where some of them really struggled to adapt onto WhatsApp, onto Facebook, so many of these entities that were coming out. So I think with our generation, the charge is that we need to self-educate um, and also create awareness, which is what I'm trying to do with what we're doing with um, Web3 Accra. So um, I would say that, you know, it, it, it's a change, it's inevitable. Um, I think that for the most part, it is going to enhance Africa's productivity. It is going to give the youth and the uh, innovatively inclined um, people here an opportunity to look at industries they may not have been able to look at before in the same way. Um, and I think it will be a very, very good opportunity for the society and governments to really build new relationship, right? Um, and actually form a stronger union that will put us economically in a better position. Okay. Last thing is that countries like El Salvador, yeah. you know, they always bring up positive people, you know, because El Salvador, if you didn't know, they adopted Bitcoin as their main currency of exchange. Bitcoin went to, you know, the ground and all of that. It really created a very difficult situation for um, the country. What is supposed to be Africa's approach to Web3 cryptocurrency? I think each government should approach it in a way that works for them. Um, I don't know the premises on premise on why El Salvador adopted Bitcoin, um, but what I do know is in some cases people look at it as a rescue. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly when the economy is not fit, is not is not thriving. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the best way, but in some cases it may work. Um, but when I think of Ghana. In particular, I think that you know the way we do things, like I, like I said, is conservative. But once we get it right, um, it would be good to see some of our industries and systems here become much more efficient. Um, and I really look. That, I don't say this biasly, but I'm I'm taking this from what my friends in the diaspora say to me. Those are not from Ghana. It's a very beautiful country, right? Everyone wants to keep coming here. So if things become more efficient. Um, using Web3, right, just makes our life better. It's not, you know, this isn't just about commercial opportunity. This is about building our infrastructure and letting the world know that we are forward thinking. I don't see how that uh, prevents us from being prosperous. Okay. And we're talking about cross-border transactions, probably land litigation, finally solved, and the other things. This has been the Change Africa podcast with Dell Titus Bewa, who is the founder of Web3 Accra and Ghana Unity Dow. When we've been speaking about this new evolution of the internet called Web3 and how it can transform the African continent with a focus on Ghana. Um, this has been brought to you by the special edition of the Change Africa podcast, TELUS um, edition, and we are honing on conversations that are truly inspiring, brought to you by the guests on the TEDx stage. Thank you very much, Del.
Yeah. <laughs>